Welcome to episode 161 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and I want to talk about a research paper that I recently published, and this is um, around the multi-fire alliance, or um, as they call themselves these days, the Alliance for Private Networking. And um, it's interesting. So I've spent the better part of a year. This paper took you know some time coming together, but we finally were able to get it published. And one of the things I was reminded about as I was finishing this and we were publishing the paper was just, again, the challenges that are associated with private networking deployment. And you and I have talked about this on prior podcasts. There's so many different routes to go. Where do organizations start? What sort of resources can they find? And really, the Alliance for Private Networks has done a great job in curating a lot of this. They've done a lot of blueprinting. A lot of the activity has been focused on LTE, but they do have 5G blueprints as well. All of that is contained in the paper that, that I published. And if you hit my, my Twitter, my X handle, at Willtown Tech, you can learn a little bit more. But I think there, there needs to be more of similar activities like what the MFA has done in, in commissioning this paper with our firm to really help simplify the journey to private networking. And I'm sure you've got an opinion on this as well. Yeah, I've been following MSA, Multifire Alliance, Private Networking Alliance since its inception. Yeah. Um, I remember when it started, it was originally for LTE and unlicensed. That's um, right. Yeah, it was really, the focus was really unlicensed, right? And Nokia was the company that sort of developed this whole this multi-fire but you know, type. But it was it because it was actually an initiative pushed by Qualcomm initially. Oh, um, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. A lot of the people that were involved with the multi-fire alliance were actually Qualcomm people because Qualcomm was pushing LTE over unlicensed very hard. And Nokia was one of their partners that kind of brought, they came together with it. So it's interesting to see who has pushed into that organization more and just seeing how it's evolved, right? Because it was really an LTE technology, first and foremost, try to take advantage of unlicensed in a lot of enterprise applications, which has transformed into a private 5G technology. Yeah, that's a good point. Now that I recall, I remember having um, a discussion in Barcelona with someone uh, that actually their day job was working at Qualcomm. I'm glad you reminded me of that. I had to dust off the cobwebs there for a moment. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an elephant when it comes to things that are elevated. You do have a good memory, man. And like your technical knowledge and savvy is pretty impressive. It's when I can't remember what I had for breakfast. So. <laughs> it's a genius, right? All right, let's go to your first topic. And you want to talk about a recent um, FCC um, nominee. And it's pretty historic. Yeah, first and foremost, we now have a converged member, fifth member of the FCC's board. In order for the FCC to pass anything, there needs to be a majority. And if you only have four people, it's very easy to get deadlocked, especially when it's two Democrats and two Republicans. So this has actually been something that's been developing for years. Biden was elected and became president in 2021. So... We've been waiting basically two years for someone to be the fifth member of the FCC. 
And the previous person, Gigi Sohn, was a controversial candidate, which I wholeheartedly disagree with. I, I knew Gigi. She was a very helpful, insightful person that would have been a great FCC commissioner. But unfortunately, the politics got involved. And I don't know how many people hated her personally or for political reasons, but she was retracted as a nominee. And Anna Gomez was placed place. And the Senate confirmed Anna Gomez as commissioner. And she's actually the first Latina to sit on the FCC's board in over two decades. So she will help to break a lot of the deadlocks that existed before on the FCC's board, making things, I think things will actually happen faster as a result of this. It'll be passed or shut down quickly. But I think the other thing that's really important is that Congress needs to recertify the FCC's authority to dole out spectrum because they lost that authority and it was basically it lapsed. Like most things in Congress, they need to be re-certified re or re-approved re by Congress and it was not. Companies like T-Mobile who paid for spectrum, like 2.5 gigahertz auction, do not have access to that spectrum because the FCC does not have the authority to give it to them. That's something that still needs to be worked on. Hopefully that happens soon. This was a huge deadlock that needed to be solved. I think we might potentially see this next issue be addressed relatively soon. Yeah, it's good news. And I know that we've talked about this off and on over the last three years, but at the end of the day, why did it take so long to get Ms. Gomez confirmed and, and get this fifth wheel on the board and so that we can start breaking some of these deadlocks? Because it's been, it's completely just thrown a monkey wrench into spectrum allocation and farming and, and whatnot. Do you have a theory on why it took so long? Was it political? Politics. Yeah. People, people. This was the Republican side not allowing Democrats to move anyone forward. And that was really what it was. They were just not, they were, there was a deadlock. So they pulled their candidate and found someone who had a lower profile and still has a lot of experience in this sector and has served the government as well. I think they found someone in Anna and hopefully Anna works well with the rest of the FCC board to um, get things done quickly and maybe make up for some lost time. Yeah, no, it's great. And it's great to see that someone of Latin descent is, is on the FCC board. We need diversity everywhere, right? Not just ethnic, but we need more women on, in these positions as well. It's great. And it, it seems like she she's fit to, to make an impact. So like, I can't wait to see what happens there. But let me move to my second topic. I, I want to take a lighthearted approach with one of my topics this week. And there's no secret that I love college football. I'm a University of Texas Longhorn grad. We're going to be playing Alabama this weekend and Tuscaloosa. It's going to be a tough game. Fingers are crossed. But as I saw at uh, uh, DKR Memorial Stadium last Saturday in 104-degree heat, I had a moment of zen. And I'm trying to remember what TV show was the moment of zen at the very end. Was it The, the Daily Show? I'm, yes, I'm, it was a Daily Show. Okay, cool. Okay, so then the end, your daily yeah, moment of zen. End, right. So I had my moment of zen when I was roasting in my in my seats that I've had for fifteen plus seasons, and was just started thinking about as I was snapping pictures and I was uploading to social media and I was having challenges. 
but it got me thinking just not necessarily about the fact that DKR could use a private network, but just in general, what could 5G do in general once standalone is deployed to alleviate some of these issues? And, and for me, it was like capacity, right? One of 5G superpowers is just supporting a massive number of devices. And this could be for fan experiences, fan activations, both in the collegiate and professional sporting levels, as well as just back office operations and that sort of thing. And maybe it came to mind because I did spend time at uh, QT Stadium, which is where the FC Austin soccer franchise plays its matches. And I did get a tour uh, about a year ago uh, to see what T-Mobile is doing uh, with you know, a private 5G standalone deployment there to support exactly the same use cases that I mentioned. So yeah, it just got me thinking the, the hype cycle in 5G has been high, but it's, it's a journey. It's not a light switch. And once we get to standalone, we're, we're going we're gonna to eventually take this for granted, but just the capacity, the throughput, the, the latency that 5G deploy offers just on a public network is going to be quite compelling. And I'm also wearing my Astros hat today that, by the way, the Astros play your Padres. I'll be watching that as well. And- I- my yeah. damaged team. <laughs> hey, listen, there's always next season as well. But the application of, of 5G in professional sports is, is super compelling. And I actually wrote a Forbes article about this several months ago. And it was like, it was, a, it was an individual that stood up uh, basically a private 5G network during the World Series. I think we talked about that and was delivering better performance than Verizon within Minimate Park. So it's... Hey, you know what? I'm a nerd. I love 5G. My friends like to tease me about 5G, but it's going to make a real impact, especially in things that you and I love, professional baseball and college football. But hey, with that said, let's go to your second topic. And you want to talk about Qualcomm and Samsung Networks and a milestone that they've hit. Yes. So this was an interesting one because they, Qualcomm worked with Samsung. So Qualcomm on the device side, Samsung on the network side, they took a Snapdragon X75 based modem device, and we're able to achieve simultaneously 200 megabits of uplink and 1.3 gigabits of downlink using only about 100 megahertz total of spectrum. They were able to do the 200 megabits with 35 mega- megahertz of spectrum up and about 1.3 gigabits with 75 megahertz of, of 5G spectrum down, all using FTD bands. So no TDD combinations with FDD and SD spectrum is much more rare and yeah. difficult to obtain. So they're able to do four carriers on the downlink and two carriers on the uplink. Um, and this kind of shows the capabilities of both Samsung and Qualcomm's modems to maximize the spectrum that's available because we're going to have a lot of spectrum that's going to be fragmented, right? We have bands yeah. all over the place. This was a showcase of both companies' abilities to deliver this carrier aggregation without needing any TDD spectrum and doing it with a fairly low amount of spectrum in total. There's a whole video on Qualcomm's website, and they will show you a video basically of how they did this uplink and downlink aggregation across different carriers. But this is a good thing because X75 is next next generation modem. It's not actually in any devices yet, but it will probably be in devices coming later this year. And next year, X75 is going to definitely be an important modem for a lot of users. Um, but I will save my talk about modems for another topic 
uh, as we do have some more to talk about later. Um, yep. But I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this announcement. I, I think it's impressive. And we were talking about Samsung Networks and its involvement with Vodafone and driving open RAN and, and virtualized RAN and that sort of thing. And I just, again, I continue to be impressed with what Samsung Networks in particular is demonstrating, right? They, for quite a while, they were second fiddle, even to Huawei in the RAN. And so they're really stepping up and they're really proving themselves to be very viable relative to folks like Nokia and Ericsson. So I guess that's my observation is that I continue to be impressed with their approach and their growth, for sure. But let's move to my third and final topic. And I actually just caught this just this morning, but it was our friend Mike Dana with light reading and he wrote an article i guess it was published on the six so it was two days ago but i just caught it but apparently t-mobile conducted a an investor uh, meeting and it was actually a goldman sachs investment analyst that straight up asked mike sievert the ceo would t-mobile consider buying u.s cellular and mike's response was maybe and so this is really interesting. So it, it, as you unpack that, maybe, and understand what T-Mobile has been focused on and, and where U.S. Cellular has been trying to focus on. So U.S. Cellular's subscriber bedrock is rural. And uh, it's no secret that T-Mobile has been very focused on rural. When Neville, our buddy Neville, who I miss, I miss tremendously, when he was driving the technology for T-Mobile, his strategy was coverage first, right? So that was building out its low band spectrum to get 5G into the hands of as many people as possible. They've, and they also, in addition to doing that, had and still have a very discreet focus on rural. They are very big in Bastrop, where I recently moved. I'm in Austin today, but they've invested tremendously in Bastrop, which is a high growth rural area. That's completely underserved by fiber. Um, the closest fiber, ironically, is in a little town called Smithville, about 13 miles east of, of Bastrop. But it would be an interesting proposition. Certainly, it would be scrutinized very closely by the FCC and the FTC. Um, you know, this, is sort of, this may have just been an off-the-cuff you know, comment um, from Mr. Sievert, but it, it's interesting because if you think about it, if any of the kind of the tier one mobile network operator were to consider acquiring U.S. Cellular, T-Mobile would probably be, in my mind, the optimal suitor, just based on what they've been doing to invest in rural, where, where they're at with their, their spectrum position and their ability to be able to support U.S. Cellular subscriber base. But I've talked way too long, and I know you want to weigh in on this. Yeah, I have thoughts. I actually think U.S. Cellular is getting acquired one way or another, Yeah, um, whether it's T-Mobile or not. I just think that U.S. Cellular, first of all, they have a lot of spectrum. And to your point, they do help cover a lot of rural areas. I'm not sure what the DOJ would allow, or the FTC for that matter. Um, FTC has not had a good track record as of late in terms of blocking acquisitions. I don't know. I feel like U.S. Cellular just isn't big enough to compete anymore. Yeah, and I think that they're, they need to be acquired down the road. Whether that's T-Mobile or not, I don't know. But I do think that U.S. Cellular is an acquisition target now. And yeah, I think T-Mobile is a good thing. But I also think that 
Verizon and AT&T could also be good fits because all of them would benefit yeah. from, this, from the rural coverage improvement. Sure. Uh, ultimately, what I want to see is more competition. So if U.S. Cellular's number one competitor is T-Mobile, maybe I don't want T-Mobile to acquire them. Yeah. I would rather see someone else compete. Um, yeah. I just think that when the carriers compete, everybody wins. Yeah. Um, and that's really what I'm, I would be most interested in, in pushing for. Yeah, I don't think that suitor will be dished. But no. they're having their own challenges. I think one one of the it's just my hypothesis. One one of US Cellular's challenges is is capex, right? It's taking that spectrum and then deploying that spectrum and the the billions of dollars that's required to do that, and and that's one of the challenges that Dish is faced with right now. I actually think like a foreign operator would be an interesting play to gobble up both Dish and a U.S. cellular and turn them into one entity, I think them combined would be a much better spectrum solution and maybe even a better footprint. But I think it would require considerable investment, something along the lines of what SoftBank was trying to do with Sprint and yeah. failed to do. Right. But I think there is some potential there. I just don't know which international carrier that would be a Top of mind would be a Vodafone. Yeah. Uh, but they, they basically helped Verizon build their network. I don't know. I, I just think that the way I look at Dish and the way I look at US Cellular, they're second fiddle. And I think combined together, they would be a very interesting fourth carrier that would that could potentially actually compete with the likes of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. But we'll see. I, I just think that right now, Dish and, and US Cellular are too small to really be really competitive. Yeah. Well, you, you heard it first here on the GTFIG on Shoals potential prediction that Dish and U.S. Cellular could come together. But hey, man, let, let's go to your third and final topic and related to this earlier, but you want to talk about MediaTek and, and Apple um, 5G modems. Yeah, so they're separate announcements, but they're both chip related, so I can bundle them together. Yeah, so makes sense. Earlier this week, MediaTek announced that they developed their first chip using TSMC's 3 nanometer process, which is set for volume production in 2024. This is a not entirely surprising announcement, considering that TSMC is one of MediaTek's biggest partners. And in fact, I think MediaTek exclusively uses TSMC. And in terms of volume, MediaTek is one of its, I think, top five customers, if not top yeah. three. So obviously it's a big deal. Apple was originally the first to announce 3 nanometer, which doesn't surprise anyone either because they're the number one customer for TSMC. But 3 nanometer is a big deal just because that is a very advanced process node. And we were very likely to see this this chip be a, a dimensity. I think they said it's a flagship dimensity. Say which yeah. one it'll be? Probably a nine thousand three hundred series. Whatever that comes out, I'll be at the MediaTek uh, summit when that happens. Maybe they'll announce that chip there. But in general, it's really interesting because they're talking about how the three nanometer process offers as much as an eighteen percent speed improvement on same power or a 32% power reduction at the same speed, as well as an approximately 60% increase in logic density. So there's going to be a lot of really great benefits that come with 3 nanometer. And yeah, I not surprising MediaTek is going to take advantage of those. And we might even see those trickle down into things like automotive, other IoT businesses. This might also be like the first 3 nanometer modem as well. So it'll be interesting to see how this kind of pans out later in the year and obviously into next year when those products start to ship. And then the other half, it was a rumor, so I'm not going to give it as much credibility 
but this is a rumor coming from Ming-Chi Kuo, who's like the Apple supply chain god. I don't know how else to put it, but people, somehow this guy's usually right about what's going on with Apple's products. And he said that the new time frame is actually going to be 2025 for Apple's modems, which is really interesting because they've been in development since 2019. Yeah. So that will mean it will have taken them six years to, to develop and launch their modem, which is actually beyond my expectations. I, when, I, when this originally happened, I actually did a lot of press and I wrote a lot of articles about it. But basically, I thought that it would take Apple about four to five years because they weren't starting from ground zero. They had a lot of IP from Intel that they had acquired, but they weren't really starting from scratch. But it sounds like they might have because six years is a pretty long time for anything that comes to market. Yeah. Uh, especially semiconductors, those usually take three to four years at most. So this was a, my original expectation was four to five years. And the initial rumors were about four to five years. The expectation was originally 2023, I think. But now we're hearing 2025. There was a time when it was saying 2024. So we're seeing slippage. So I wouldn't necessarily say this date is concrete either. Um, but this is the latest date that we've heard as far as rumors go. And usually Ming-Chi is pretty accurate. So uh, yeah. I think an Apple 5G modem is more likely in 2025 now which means that Apple will have to exercise its extension uh, of the Qualcomm agreement for licensing and chip supply. So um, obviously that's great for Qualcomm's bottom line. I guarantee you it'll probably cause their stock to pop because that means Apple's got to start, continue to spend with them for the next year and a half. But yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. That's the uh, semiconductor update. Yeah, it's interesting, but it's not surprising to me because companies like Apple and Tesla have the sort of, it's either designed here or it's not used at all. And so that doesn't necessarily surprise me. And for our viewers and listeners, this whole saga between Apple and Qualcomm, in fact, our, our chief analyst and, and CEO, Patrick Moorhead wrote uh, an article about it and, and likened it to a clown show, all, all the back and forth. And I, we don't have time to get into it, but it's just, it's interesting. And I'm sure, I'm sure Apple is just sitting there just like, oh shit, we're going to have to, we're going to have to license Qualcomm for another iPhone cycle, another iPad cycle. And so, that's a lot of money, right? Because I, I, a lot in, of my money. Opinion, in my opinion, this is all about the bottom line. Yeah. And every time Apple has to push it out, I'm sure a puppy somewhere dies. Like, sure. <laughs> it only tell you, man, I love that. It's a terrible analogy, but yeah, think about it. So they purchased that modal business for Linton. There was cost there. For the last several years, it had engineers morning, noon, and night working on it. There's cost there. And now they're having to send this licensing thing with Qualcomm. There's tremendous cost there. This is a big enchilada for Apple to, to consume. But anyway, hey, buddy, it's been another great podcast. Go Padres, go Astros, but why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech and I'm at Onshell Song. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week and don't forget to rate and subscribe.